John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. The scripture reads, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again the disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Amen. This series that we've been looking at, dealing with Christ convincing the skeptic, doubting Thomas. Spent now two weeks looking at it, those first two weeks dealing with the subject of the problem of Thomas. We noted, first of all, the sadness of Thomas's unbelief. Then we saw also the stubbornness and the stipulation of his unbelief. Now, this morning, we'd like to go ahead and finish this series and see two things. First, Christ's persuading of Thomas in verses 26 and 27. And then we'll see also Thomas's profession of Christ. So notice with me, if you would, John chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. We see here Christ in his addressing Thomas concerning Thomas's doubt as to Christ's actual resurrection. Verse 26 says, And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Notice verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing." This sixth post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ is what fully persuaded Thomas of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that implied. These verses show us just how Thomas was convinced of Christ's resurrection. And notice with me, Jesus approaches Thomas here, and the first thing we see in verse 27 is Thomas was persuaded by Christ's compassion. Notice it says, Then saith he, that being Jesus, then saith he to Thomas. The compassion of Christ for this hard-hearted disciple was very great. And it's evident that the primary purpose of this visit was to bring Thomas back into the believer's fold. In fact, Christ's command to Thomas nearly parallels Thomas's statement when he said in verse 25, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see, Christ was fully aware of Thomas's unbelief and revealed his compassion as the omniscient, 
all-knowing Savior who addressed Thomas's great need. You see, Jesus Christ, being God, has all the attributes of God the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. But going back to that thought of being omniscient, he knows everything. He knew Thomas's thoughts. He knew what was upon his heart and the struggles that Thomas was dealing with in regard to believing Christ rose from the dead. By the way, Jesus knows the same of us. He knows the struggles of heart. He knows what goes on in our mind. But here we see the compassion of Christ as he approached Thomas. Thomas's greatest need was to believe. Jesus was aware of that and dealt with that matter. Remember, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Because Jesus knew the trouble of Thomas's heart, when he approached him, his goal was not to rebuke Thomas and shame him into submission. It wasn't to stamp out his rebellion or it wasn't to chide him for Thomas's resistance to the truth. No, Jesus approached Thomas with the purpose of winning him over and he did so with compassion. He demonstrated that same compassion throughout his earthly ministry and also exercises that compassion in reaching out to the peoples of the world today. You see, Thomas heard Jesus teach and preach in his ministry. He saw him perform miracles. He just wasn't convinced that it was truly Jesus who rose from the dead. But when Jesus went to him with stretched out arms of compassion and appealed to Thomas's heart, Thomas's heart was melted. He was reminded of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I believe Thomas was reminded of the words of our Lord when he spoke in John chapter 6, verse 37, all that my father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Jesus wasn't addressing Thomas for the purpose of embarrassing him rebuking him or pushing him away. No he came to Thomas with the goal of bringing him back unto himself so that he might once again have faith and trust in the Lord. We're reminded of the words of Jude when he said and of some have compassion making a difference. Beloved, what an example Jesus Christ laid out for his disciples. And I personally believe Thomas never got over the compassion that Jesus Christ demonstrated that day. You know, you can win folks to the Lord more so through compassion than ridicule and chiding and mocking and debating. All we want to stand up as Christians for what we believe. We want to speak out and demonstrate our conviction that God is true and everything in his word we believe is the word of God. But we need to also demonstrate compassion to others that they in turn might see the love of God through us. The hymn writer Charles Gabriel in his song He Lifted Me put it this way. In loving kindness, Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim. From the depths 
of sin and shame, through grace, he lifted me. From sinking sand, he lifted me. With tender hand, he lifted me. From shades of night to plains of light, oh, praise his name, he lifted me. Oh, I believe Thomas was one that day. He was persuaded of the Lord through the compassion that Jesus Christ demonstrated so many times before and here once again. This time, the message of Christ to Thomas became personal. All beloved, it is our desire that all we come into contact with would recognize that God personally desires that all men everywhere be saved. But as we continue... Not only was Thomas persuaded by Christ's compassion, he was persuaded by Christ's condescension. Notice also in verse 27, the scripture says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Here we see Christ condescended to Thomas's stipulation. Thomas earlier had said he would not believe except he saw his hands, put his fingers in the nail prints and thrust his hand in his side. Thomas, as we'd already looked at in this series, was dogmatic that he was not going to believe and he demanded that God demonstrate to him that he truly had risen from the dead. This, beloved, was a slap in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of Jesus' own disciples had taken such a bold and pronounced stance against the resurrection of Christ, something that Jesus foretold would take place and then performed when he rose from the grave. Beloved, this is emblematic of the millions today in the world who mock the Lord Jesus Christ reject God's gracious offer and declare it never happened. But all Jesus did rise from the grave. He demonstrated it many times and to a multitude of people. But here Jesus condescends. Though he didn't have to, he brought himself down to Thomas's level and agreed to speak with Thomas about this man's concern. Jesus not only demonstrated compassion, but humility. Oh, that's one of the greatest hallmarks of Christ's earthly ministry. Humility. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul spoke of this when he was writing to the Philippian believers in chapter 2, verse 7, he said, But made himself, speaking of our Lord, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Yes, Jesus Christ chose to humble himself in many situations throughout his earthly ministry. And beloved, when we see that he lived his life in such a way that he might lay down a pattern for us as his saints to follow, he certainly demonstrated the importance and the value of humility. 
What a great example for us to follow and what a great trait for us to incorporate in our lives. To approach people with compassion and humility. You know, we as Christians, above any other religion, I realize this is not a popular statement, but above any other religion, we are right. One God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. We believe in the Holy Trinity. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died for the sins of all mankind. For he himself said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We demonstrate to others, or we try to tell others the truth of God's word that they in turn might be saved. But if we do so, in arrogance, with the attitude, I'm right and you're wrong. If we do so with defiance, well, I'll tell you what I think and I don't care what you think. Or if we do so by mocking someone and making fun of their religious or non-religious beliefs, how many do you think we're going to win to the Lord? Not many at all. Folks won't listen to us. They won't consider us credible. They won't see us as a believable testimony. But you approach someone with compassion and humility. What a difference it'll make in the message that you're bearing. Christ demonstrated for us how we ought to approach others, and that's exactly what he did with Thomas. But notice it didn't end there. For we see also in verse 27... Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Not only do we see the compassion of Christ and the condescension of Christ, but we see the command. You see, he didn't leave off at simply demonstrating that he was the Son of God, but he put forth a command to Thomas. He said, Thomas, now the ball is in your court. I have shown you the truth. I have answered your questions. I have laid out the facts for you. It's up to you. What are you going to do now with what you know? This is where we as Christians need to get to the point in our witness with others. It's one thing to tell others about Christ, but all we need to challenge them. We need to ask them to move on their their hearts and their consciences and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Here, Christ's command is given that Thomas might believe, not just that he would know, Not that he would simply acknowledge that Christ is risen from the dead, but he would believe it with all his heart. And beloved, this is the same command that God gives to all men everywhere. For Acts chapter 17 verse 30 says, God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Here we also learn something about how to grow in faith. Growth in faith is directly related to obeying God's divine commands. If we want to grow spiritually, or we want our faith to increase, we need to pay attention to the commands of God. If we would know more spiritually, if we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have to know what God's Word tells us about growing and maturing and being more like Him. 
The commands of God in Scripture are there for a reason. They are ever important for they demand that we turn from our ways and and turn to the Lord. Repentance is our changing our minds about ourselves and agreeing with God. And that's what Christ is demanding here of Thomas. St. Thomas, you must believe what I'm demonstrating to you today. 1 John 2, 3 says, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Every one of us here today who are saved, and I trust that's all of us, but every one of us here today who are saved, it is because we obeyed the command of God to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Yes, it is a gift freely given. Yes, it is an invitation openly offered to whosoever will, but it is one that must be embraced as we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God and accept Him as our Lord and Savior. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to wholly embrace it. And that's what Jesus Christ was calling for Thomas to do. To believe and accept this great truth. So we see the compassion of our Lord Jesus Jesus Christ, his condescension and his command in his approach to Thomas, this unbelieving, skeptical disciple. Notice with me, if you will, not just the persuading of Thomas, but in verse 28, we see his profession. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Wow, one of the greatest statements in the New Testament, my Lord and my God. Thomas went from unbelief to belief in a quick and dynamic way. In a moment, the doubter was transformed to a worshiper. Just like that. Once he received Christ, once he believed in him, he was converted from an unbeliever to a believer. From a sinner to a saint. From a child of the devil to a child of God. With this one statement, he addresses three great doctrinal truths. I'd like to point those out if we could this morning. First of all, notice, Thomas proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. Remember, that was the whole crux of the matter. He said, I'm not going to believe he rose from the dead. He didn't care what the other ten disciples told him. He wasn't interested in their comment. He said, I'm not going to believe it unless I have proof. Now he has it And he declares that he believes that Christ rose from the dead. How do we know that? Notice John chapter 20 verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him. This is not a ghost. It's not an apparition. He's not hallucination or it's not a figment of of Thomas's imagination. No, he was addressing the God-man that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He was convinced that this was Jesus Christ standing before him in flesh. For Jesus offered his hand and his side and said, here's the proof. Go ahead and test it. And here Thomas is now convinced that this is the resurrected Christ and speaks to him personally about this matter. Luke 24, 39, Jesus said, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. 
Thomas was convinced that this was the literal Jesus Christ standing before him. You know, there are many who attest that Jesus never really rose from the grave. Or they would say he rose spiritually, but not physically. And there are those who claim that this would have been a spirit or an appearance of Christ, the risen Christ, but not actually in bodily form. Oh, yes, Jesus rose from the grave with the evidence, the marks of his crucifixion, those wounds in his body that were made just three days earlier were evident, and Jesus held them forth as proof that he rose bodily from the grave. But not only did Thomas declare the resurrection of Christ, he also proclaimed the lordship of Christ. Notice also verse 28. Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, the word Lord here, Kurios. We recognize that the resurrected Christ who stood before him to be the supreme Lord and sovereign of the universe. This was not merely a man who stood before him, but it was the Lord. Thomas acknowledged that he stood in the presence of Jehovah. Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether people choose to accept it or not, the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. And the Lord of glory left heaven above and came to this earth, born in human flesh. John chapter 1 tells us all about that. How he took on human form, tabernacled among us. And yet this Lord of heaven died for man, rose from the gate. And Thomas became convinced of it that day. For in Thomas's mind, now he's putting together the facts. He's putting together the things that he had seen uh, during the Lord's ministry. He's putting together those things that he had learned as a young man concerning the scriptures and the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And now he sees that Jesus Christ is Lord. All the peoples of the world would come to understand that. Yes, one day they will bow, everyone, whether they like it or not, whether they agree with it or not, they will one day bow and declare Jesus Christ is Lord. All would to God they would do it this side of eternity rather than next, meaning that they would trust Christ as their Savior while they have the opportunity and declare Him to be the Lord of their heart and their life. But not only that, He declared the resurrection of the Christ, the Lordship of Christ, but also the deity of Christ. For He said, My Lord and my God. Thomas acknowledged the deity of Christ, recognizing that this was the God-man who stood before him, the all-powerful, preeminent one, the one who said, tear down this temple, and in three days he'd raise it up again. The one who declared he must three days be in the belly of the earth and would rise from the grave. The one who declared he to be equal to God. For he said, I and my Father are one. Thomas put it all together finally and realized he stood before God. John chapter 1 verse 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Thomas came to realize he stood before Jesus, resurrected from the dead, recognizing that he was not only the Lord of all, but he was the Almighty God. Oh, how he must have been humbled. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's Paul writing his instructions to young Timothy concerning his ministry. But Thomas had the opportunity to be in the middle of this revelation, if you will. And Thomas's use of the pronoun my emphasizes his personal belief in Christ. Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. He wasn't echoing now what the disciples had told them. He wasn't following someone else's convictions and beliefs. No, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior personally. Beloved, we're reminded that no name is entered by proxy into the Lamb's Book of Life. No person is represented by a stand-in in the halls of glory. Everyone must personally trust in Jesus Christ as his or her Savior. Again, John chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, Thomas. Thomas struggled with this problem of unbelief. But we see he was persuaded, won over to the truth, by the compassion, the condescension, and the command of Christ, and thus made his great profession, my Lord and my God. But verse 29, as we conclude, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. What good news. We've not had the privilege of seeing the Lord with these physical eyes, but by faith we have trusted in him who died for our sins and provided a means by which we might gain entrance into heaven. Oh, what joy that will be when we see him face to face as has been penned in song and lyric. What a day that will be. Jesus here approves of the faith of Thomas, but more highly commends the faith of those of us who trust by faith. Someone has said this statement gives Christ another of the great Beatitudes, like those found in the Sermon on the Mount, when they say, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Yes, our faith needs to be built upon the spiritual 
not the physical. Faith is to be founded upon the word of God, not what we see and experience in this life. If you don't believe the Bible is God's word, you're going to have a tough time believing that Jesus is the Christ. For the Gospel of John concludes with this statement, 20 verse 31, where he said, These are written, these, of course, the words of this Gospel, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Aren't you glad today we have God's word before us, who reveals to us the truth concerning our great need and God's great gift. C. Fitzsimmons Allison wrote, We need not sin that grace may abound. We are sinners and need only to confess that grace may abound. Dale Moody stated, Confession follows conviction. It is the truth of the word of God that demonstrates to us our great need of a savior. It exposes our sin and reveals that need of heart. And once God convicts us through the working of the Holy Spirit, then we can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord by putting our faith and trust in him. We've seen in this the problem of Thomas, the persuading of Thomas, and the profession of Thomas. Oh, that God work in our lives, that we in turn might, like Christ, win others to him with compassion and humility and great care and concern.